Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today we have Eric Johnson. Eric operates Shoreside Realty Finance, a lending company dedicated to working with both US and foreign real estate investors. He is also an active investor in the Chicago market. So thanks so much for coming on, Eric. Hey, Charles. I appreciate it, man. It's great to be here. So uh, please give us a little background on yourself prior to starting your current business. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in, in, it really it all started in 2015. Uh, and I was really, really pumped about getting into flipping. That was like my, my first, uh, I guess, you know, step uh, in, into real estate. And um, it, it just really interested me at the time because um, just the entrepreneurial side of it uh, and, and hunting for deals and stuff like that. So that's really how I got started. Uh, I linked up with a couple of more experienced investors. At this time, I was actually living in, in LA. So, you know, <laughs> what a market to, to get started in, you know, uh, it's, and, 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 you know, 2015, 2016 was just, it was just so hot. Um, you know, the, the deals were just flying off the shelf and I'm, I'm talking like 12 offers on every property, like cash. Um, and I'm not talking like hard money. I'm talking about families, you know, that have trusts and it's like money in the bank. Uh, and you know, the fixtures in LA, uh, were, at least half a mil, if not, you know, more, you know, and that's, that's on like the cheap end. So that's really how, how it started. Um, I just, you know, kind of used that as a launch pad. I kind of got more, in, you know, we, we did some projects out there. Um, it, it, it was great, you know, to, to participate in. I actually was kind of spearheading acquisitions um, mm-hmm. for, for these, you know, more experienced investors um, just because I, I wanted to learn, but, you know, I was kind of like all in on it. So, um, we, you know, we, we did a couple deals, um, some larger ones too, with, you know, you know, not just cosmetic, but we did extensions, you know, uh, we added master suites, um, you know, to, to the properties we, we did some ADUs, um, and stuff like that. So it, it was a pretty good, you know, gamut and, and range of, of products, you know, that, that, that we did, but, um, that's really how, how I got my start. And, uh, you know, since then, uh, you know, flipping here, here and there, uh, you know, it's, it, I, I've kind of drifted more, you know, away from that and, and kind of into, um, rental and, and, you know, really my primary uh, focus is on financing. So, um, but yeah, that's just a, a little background on, on how, how I got started. Nice. So your company, uh, Shoreside Realty Finance offers financing for a number of different real estate asset types and, um, small, large multifamily, uh, commercial properties, bridge loans, fixed and flip loans. I want to dig into a few of them and uh, see what normal terms are available for both US and uh, foreign investors. So I I imagine the majority of our listeners are going to be most interested in multifamily, whether that's small, um, residential one to four, or commercial multifamily five plus units. So can you kind of give us a little overview of what programs are are really available for uh, multifamily investors? Sure, sure. Yeah, this this is a relatively um, you know complex topic with a lot of different <laughs> moving parts. You know, you know, I mean, we could probably have 
you know, whole episode just on just multifamily and talk literally about nothing else. So, well, um, let's I, say from uh, an investor standpoint, because obviously, obviously, if someone sure. has one to four units, they're going to go like an FHA route, most likely if they're going to live in one of them. But let's say for a investor that is um, already owned, it's not going to be living in it. And sure. it's going to be something that's completely, um, you know, and we'll get into, we can go into agency stuff later on, but mainly the stuff that we would be, I, I guess, imagine going through banks and um, having it on their balance sheet. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, and, and again, even within the multifamily <laughs> realm, so, you know, we're just going to stick to five plus uh, units right now. Um, but, you know, even within that, you mentioned uh, agency and non-agency, right? So I, I, I would like to go back and uh, I guess unpack that. Um, agency, uh, if, you know, for, for those who, who are listening, aren't, aren't sure, but, um, you know, just, just to kind of start from, you know, the beginning, uh, Freddie and Fannie, the, the government sponsored, you know, sponsored entities, uh, who essentially purchase most of the loans on the secondary market in the U S also finance multifamily. So they, you know, have their own programs for financing multifamily investments. And that's really the key difference you know, and that's, that's what we mean by, you know, non-agency and agency, right? And to, to kind of, I guess, dive into the context, agency has, you know, Fannie and Freddie offer really good terms and, and really good uh, deal structures for investors. However, uh, there's always a caveat, right, is you have to check every one of their boxes, right? Like, so just, just like, you know, you would go to um, you know, for example, FHA or whatever, if you're doing just a small house hack, you have to check every one of FHA's boxes. But uh, Fannie and Freddie on the apartment side are the same thing. They have liquidity and net worth requirements, right? So net worth has to equal loan amount. Uh, properties usually have to be 90% occupied for at least 90 days. Um, and uh, Freddie Mac has a minimum, a hard minimum loan amount of a million dollars and Fannie Mae 750,000. And it's you know, it's, it's one of those things that if, if you don't have deals that, that fall within that realm, it, you can't really talk about them. Right. So, um, but nonetheless, you know, just to give people an overview, you know, I mean, right now we're talking 75% LTV, even with COVID uh, they're traditionally 80%, right. I mean, they were 80% like all day, but with COVID uh, they have, they dropped 5% and they also require reserves. So that can be anywhere from six to nine months of principal and interests. So you have to bring that to the closing table in addition to your down payment um, and still have liquidity in the bank, you know, <laughs> left over. So it's like, it, it's not, you can't just knock on their door and, uh, and, and get approved because it, it has to be, you know, one, a great asset. And then you really need to have your ducks in a row as, as a sponsor. Right. So yeah. that, that's kind of what I would say about agency there. Start. What what let's say um now let's that's perfect thank you the what happens if someone can't uh they're not able to uh, acquire that let's say for one or many reasons most likely it's a an unstabilized property and um, what what are the options that someone has now let's say for a five plus multifamily that's over this um, loan amount seven fifty but they just can't get agency where would they go with that right so so my my next the next bucket um, would would be conventional. Mm -hmm. um, that, that would be the next bucket of money that I would choose from. Usually, you know, I, you kind of just go down the list. You can go agency, mm -hmm. conventional, CMBS, um, 
I mean, life insurance, if it's a bigger, bigger deal, life insurance companies have, you know, they're, but they're more conservative, right? But so it just depends on the, the LTV that, that you need. But if you want a higher LTV and just less red tape, CMB, uh, you know, CMBS is going to be like definitely your next best uh, uh, route just because of it's easier access to, to capital. They don't have uh, as many overlays, you know, in, mm -hmm. in underwriting and they're more operating statement based. So if you actually have a solid deal, you can maybe get away with some things on, on the sponsor end. Um, you know, if, if it's not, you know, not all that solid, um, mm -hmm. in, you know, in terms of, you know, maybe your experience or FICO score or something like that, mm -hmm. and where you need maybe a little more leeway, you're, you're more likely to get that approval if you go CMBS and, um, just, to clarify, CMBS is stands for more, uh, commercial mortgage-backed securities. So, much like the residential side, which is MBS or mortgage-backed securities, where essentially there are pools of many loans separated into credit tiers and sold um, on the secondary market. It's the same thing, um, you know, with with essentially multifamily loans. So that's how this, uh, I guess, loan product works. Uh, very similar in you know uh, comparison, but um, that would be the next. Uh, you know, best bet. And then usually they do go lower loan amounts too. Okay. probably talking down to, to 500 K anything below, oh, really? you know, 500, um, that that's going to be true small balance, right? That's going to be yeah. like non-agency small balance. And in, in, in which case, you know, really you just have to find a, um, you know, a shop that, that does that kind of thing, because really in order to, to make those kinds of loans, you, you need to have an investor who is willing to purchase those notes, right? So, right. And uh, when we're going in, how does that uh, from conventional and um, let's say if you went to doing a bridge loan and um, sure. is that going to go through a regular bank? Is that going to go through a separate lender? How does that usually work? Yeah. So, so that's probably going to be uh, just a private, uh, you know, debt fund or something mm -hmm. like that, which are, I mean, they're just direct lenders. That's pretty much all the direct lenders you see are, you know, private debt funds. Um, and, you know, Bridge lending is something that, as as the term implies, it's to bridge the gap, right? Like if you have a non-performing asset, that's the very essence of, of using a bridge loan, right? Either it needs capex and rents are severely under market. Those are all, you know, exact scenarios from which you know you you would use bridge financing just because you need to get the asset to be you know stabilized in order to even, you know, think about putting permanent debt on it, you know, at, you know, in which case, um, when the property is stabilized, you can analyze, you know, which credit or, or I guess, which capital bucket, right, which pool of money you want to pull from, once you have the property to where it is, but ideally, you would have thought about that <laughs> before you before you purchase the deal. So what, what, uh, what kind of terms is someone looking at for a bridge loan from a, a, a debt fund? Yeah, sure. So, you know, bridge financing is, is very similar to like fix and flip, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. pretty much private, private capital. So, so you know, you're going to be anywhere from, you know, eight to 11%, you know, two to three points origination, um, 18 month term, 12 month term interest only, mm -hmm. you know, so it's just, um, and you, you know, usually you'll, they'll fund acquisition plus a portion of the rehab, okay. you know, um, and if you have some good experience, it's, it's not that hard to get, you know, hundred percent. So maybe you'll get 75 acquisition and hundred percent construction, yeah. um, of, of the rehab and, and depending on how you want to structure it, right? Like that's, that's what it will be. And it, it's pretty flexible. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you think you'll need a longer term, 
you know, it, it's not, especially with multifamily, because they're just bigger, they're bigger assets, right? So mm-hmm. sometimes it's really common to ask for 24 month interest only need to get this property to where it is. And, you know, we'll, uh, you know, refi after that. And, and that's the exit. Um, the only thing we need to check uh, on the bridge side, right, is to make sure that the area cap rates and the NOI um, give us the value that we need, right? In, in so when, when you refi, we need to make sure that all of that debt is, is taken out. And uh, at that point, you know, it's just a, a first, uh, you know, permanent first lien, either, you know, five, 10 year term, 25 year AM, 30 year AM. And um, from there, just hold it. Yeah. When I speak to some investors, I always tell them that uh, the bridge lending is like the hard money lender of multifamily or commercial. Essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's direct parallel to like fix and flip stuff. Like Mm -hmm. even like the rates and the terms and stuff are, are very, very similar. It's just, it's just about uh, the different execution, right? So Mm -hmm. for multifamily bridge, you know, we got to get a full appraisal, which for a multifamily building, you know, is starting at a couple grand. And um, we need to comb through, you know, that, that appraisal, make sure all the data is, you know, what, you know, per, per underwriting guidelines. So, uh, but yeah, the, the bridge, the bridge lending side, uh, you know, is it's, it's less about the pricing and more about the execution is like really what it boils down to, um, you know, because it's all relatively going to be the same, you know, um, unless you need like true hard money at, you know, at which point, you know, you're going to be talking, you uh, you know, they, they don't really care about you as a sponsor, like at all. It's really just about the, um, it's really just about, you know, how they analyze the deal and where the asset is, because at that point, um, you know, they're, they're okay with, as long as you have the equity to come to the table with down payment, closing costs, and they like the deal, they'll lend on it because that's true hard money. But again, true hard money is going to be, you know, double digit rates kind of thing. Um, so one of the things is I've looked at deals before that are unstabilized with partners and, um, we've seen some before that would be prime candidates for bridge lending and, um, what would, and then we've, we've gone and actually worked with, um, local banks on it. And, um, I imagine every local bank or conventional lender is going to have a different, a different, uh, a level of interest in different assets. So let's say, So it's, you can find a similar asset, maybe get financing with a, you know, maybe use both of them. Is that right? Or. Yeah. You know what? It it really depends on your options, you know, at at that point, because, you know, there are some, some local banks, maybe they have a portfolio fund uh, division Mm -hmm. of their bank and they're like, you know, let's do bridge, you know, let's do bridge debt. And, and, you know, some of them actually have, you know, approved programs for that. And, uh, but usually it is, you know, it's, it's very, very case by case. Um, it, you know, it, it really depends too, because a lot of local banks like local investors, you know, right. and, yeah. and, and they only lend literally in their, in their physical geographic footprint, right? So it's not like you can have one, one partner uh, for, for all the deals that you're trying to do. Or, you know, even if you do contact local banks, there's no guarantee that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll do, or they'll have bridge lending. Right. And even then it might be more conservative than, you know, going, going through like a, just a direct lender for, for example. Right. So it, now, it just depends. Yeah. I've seen that. It's, it's amazing when I've spoken to local banks before doing and um, how different their, what their risk profile is, what they like. Yeah. Um, you'll, cause you'll speak to some banks. They don't want to do anything with multifamily. 
and then they they only want to do something cert, like certain asset classes and then you'll speak to others and they're like we love doing multifamily and we have these great deals for stuff that's within this radius of us and it's very interesting if you if you contact a bank that's maybe not local to the area you're in maybe it's even an hour or two away they'll be like oh you can't find a bank in your area why are you contacting us and it's yeah, so weird yeah. it's like we're it's in the same state but it's very interesting how it's very local Absolutely. you're right they're 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 hyper local on their stuff like even you know just like you said just like a couple miles outside their footprint they're like nope we don't do it like you know you you get you get a hard no or just specific asset classes and and you know that's what makes i think like navigating all of these products yeah. is just kind of overwhelming at one point you know especially if you're trying to uh you know if it's your first couple deals and or or something like that it's and you don't have those established pathways I guess, you know, that, that you can just kind of, um, go off of from, from, from previous experience. So it's, um, it definitely takes, you know, a lot of research and, and commitment just to, you know, line up the right option. The one thing too, uh, before, uh, we kind of open this up to other, uh, other, uh, borrowers like foreign investors, but, um, sure. what, what I found with, um, with local banks as well is that it's much easier. Agency is kind of, this is what you get. And this is, this is what it is. With local yeah. banks, I kind of see it's like mark up the term sheet and send it back kind of thing with certain banks. Is that is that something common that you'll see with conventional lending where what I mean, what kind of leverage do people have on this when they say this is this is what we're offering and they can kind of send it back to underwriting and say, listen, can we you know modify this or that? Is that something yeah. that happens normally? Yeah. I mean, as, as far as deal terms and deal structure, there's I mean everything is is movable right mm -hmm. um if you know you you want to take off points on the front end and add them to the back as like a payoff so you can defer and bring less cash to close because one of your investors pulled out you know like just you know little structures like that um is is definitely i mean especially in multifamily and, and commercial um you know it is business purpose lending and um you know those type of you know structures uh that that fall maybe just outside of the the guidelines if if it's a solid deal and the deal makes up for it and you're solid as a sponsor um you can always make the ask and mm -hmm. and you know no matter what uh, i always encourage uh, especially my clients you know I, I i present them with different deal structures and you know you need to analyze which path uh to to kind of go off of and if something is like oh this this option is really good but like we're missing you know, this, and I'll be like, well, you know, we can make the ask for it, you know, and um, at that point, it's, it's, it's open. So what happens if um, with you have an investor that's, uh, that's foreign based that wants to invest in, let's say US multifamily, and um, they're working through uh, someone like yourself, what, how does the deals differ? And in, in sense of how it's gonna be structured, the requirements, what the lender wants to see, um, from you, from the, from the borrower. Yeah, absolutely. So, so this is kind of going to, this is going to be more like a, a you know, a, a small balance scenario where, where really is operating statement based, right. As a foreign investor, there's, you know, personal income, et cetera, is, isn't, I mean, you really don't even have a FICO, right. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's like, how do, how do you underwrite that? Well, it's pretty simple. They go to the lowest credit, you know, credit bracket, of, of whatever that program is. And then that's kind of a placeholder, so to say. Right. And, you know, 
since COVID and, and what I call the liquidity crisis, because that's really what happened, um, a bunch of investors pulled out funds on the secondary market, stopped buying notes from non-QM and, you know, just, you know, uh, different investor loans uh, and foreign nationals was probably one of the most, uh, you know, probably the most, one of the more heavier hit programs just because it was like, okay, well, no one knew what was happening. And they all kind of literally within like 24 hours, everyone was like, yeah, we don't have that anymore. And, <laughs> you know, and I was still getting scenarios and, and really, uh, you know, what it boils down to, but before COVID, you know, I, I did some deals in, in Detroit, some multifamily stuff with some foreign nationals. They didn't have uh, any us FICO. Um, and essentially what, you know, the requirements there were the, the, the DCR of the property, right? So for anyone listening, if, if you don't know what DCR is, it stands for debt coverage ratio. And that's really the main, uh, I guess, underwriting factor in, in seeing how well a building actually covers its debt and, and how it pays for itself, essentially, right? Because that's the point of, of a, a, you know, buying multifamily. And, you know, that can just be calculated by your, your gross income divided you know, by a PITI or for multifamily, uh, you need an NOI number, right? Mm -hmm. So to divide by your, your, your P&I, uh, and then that will give you your debt cover ratio. Um, and then I can get into, you know, an example of that. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Great. Please. You know, a little later, but um, yeah, just to finish up on the multifamily side, I mean, you know, they, they were at uh, a 10 year term, 30 year amortization, uh, high sixes interest rate, um, no credit operating statement based building cash flowed, you know, very well. Um, it needed some repairs, but those were done before closing. We were able to clear those conditions and essentially just, just closed it, you know, as is. Um, and, and they, you know, they took, uh, they took title. And as far as I know, that, that property is still, is still going, you know, going strong, no issues there. But uh, I, I will say insurance and loan costs are something that catch foreign nationals off guard. Okay. Because yeah, especially um, these foreign nationals were, were from Canada um, specifically, but they only had Canadian credit. They didn't have um, any, anything us based. So we had to run them, you know, pretty much uh, from zero and, you know, they, they, as Canadians, I, I, I know this, you know, from, from, from working with them and, and doing deals with them there, their rates and their fees there are so low you know, that they get in Canada and, and they're so used to it. And, and it depends on your country, right. On, and, and, and where you're from. And so they come to the U S and they're like, yeah, I want to, you know, buy this building. And, you know, they're, uh, I, I believe the points were, uh, I believe it was two or two and a half. Um, and they're like, well, what are these? And, and, you know, I have to explain to them and, you know, origination is, is just pretty much the cost of, of putting the loan on paper. Um, you know, and, and that's just a percentage of, of your loan amount. So I, I do want to make sure that, you know, especially foreign nationals are aware of U.S. lending is, is more fee-based. And I'm, I feel mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm, I'm having to, to uh, just convey that point or, or emphasize that more just because people have questions on that. Um, and then buying the multifamily building, getting insurance, the requirements, you have actual cash value versus replacement costs, right? And depending on the, the lender you get, those two premiums can vary drastically, yeah. right? So we got to a point where, you know, we, we had a, a replacement cost, you know, in, in place. And the vendor we had right now, the, the, the premium was just so out there. It actually like made the deal significantly worse. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it almost killed the deal until we found 
an, another uh, provider that had a much lower premium for, for replacement cost, you know, cost. So we were able to get that across the finish line, but I, that is, that is something that is a very real issue. <laughs> yeah. Especially on older properties. That's where I found it. Um, it can really differ. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The um, what, what kind of down payments or how to rates usually, is it usually a couple points higher? And um, I've usually heard, like you're, you're talking five to 10% more down and uh, a couple points higher. Is that normally how it works for foreign investors? Yeah, absolutely. So they, they were at 70 LTV. Um, okay. I was able to get them an exception for an additional 5%, um, I think based on their liquidity. Um, so we, I was able to bump them up to 70. I, I don't think that's available right now. Um, right. And it, even in one to four units right now, I believe foreign nationals are capped around 60. I'm hoping that, you know, this will go up back to 65, 70 in Q1 of 2021, because things are starting to come back. But uh, yeah, I mean, generally, you know, if you're probably going to be at least, you know, 150 basis points, if not 200 basis points higher than someone with a US based credit, right? So if you know, a U.S. Uh, investor, you know, you're, you're going, you know, mid fives, you can expect to be at least mid sixes, right? So okay. yeah, something yeah. like that um, as, as a foreign investor. Now, uh, one more question too, in regards to, obviously they can partner with someone in the U.S. and that kind of alleviates a lot of these issues. And I imagine they have to have just not like on a co-center basis, it actually has to be a sizable owner in this uh, entity that they're purchasing in. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that would be an arrangement where you have, for example, you're more of a passive foreign investor, right? So you mm -hmm. have a, a GP mm -hmm. here and you're, you know, as a foreign investor, you're kind of behind the scenes. So okay. what you need to find is, you know, essentially that, that cohesion with a deal operator here in the U S yeah. that can take care of the, you know, the quote unquote sponsorship side. Um, because as soon as, you know, you are a, as, as a foreign investor, you, you know, you're, you're a GP or something and, yeah. and, you know, rather, rather than LP or a majority owner, then you need to send in docs. Yeah. Right. And, and at that point it'll get dicey and they'll be like, well, there's one foreign national here. So we have to downgrade the whole program, you know, so yeah. you, you kind of want to stay hidden in, in, in that regard. Yeah. And we've, we have a lot of LP foreign investors and um, it's pretty straightforward. The only, like you said, it gets dicey if someone wants to bring in a sizable amount and they're, sure. even if they're limited, they have to, I'm not sure what the number percentage is, maybe 10% of the dealer or whatever it is. And they have to go through like a whole thing, like we're going through at the bank where they, they check everything. Or if it's much, if it's smaller than that, it's usually not a problem. And um, in my experiences of working with them, um, is that anything different than how you guys have worked with them before? No, that, I mean, that's pretty, you know, in, in, in alignment of, of, of what happens just because it's just, it boils down to equity dilution, right. Of mm -hmm. LLC and, and the equity splits of, of how this thing is actually being structured. Um, so, you know, I, I would say that's very much in line. It, it, yeah. If you want to put in a sizable chunk of change, you might want to, as a foreign investor, divide that chunk of change into mul maybe multiple single asset entities with a different deal. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, with your same target return. So at that point, you're, you know, you have the same cash outlay and hopefully the mm -hmm. same ROI, you know, that, that you expect, but it's not diluting just like, it's not all in like one place. Yeah. And you're not also under the microscope for um, dealing exactly. with any of these underwriters, which will make everybody in the deal. It'll be harder for everybody in the deal to, to get it done. So um, exactly. 
One question I hear all the time is purchasing in an LLC, changing terms of a loan. I mean, how does that work if I, um, obviously I think this is much more for a one to four unit question residential compared sure. to five plus. I've never had any type of issue purchasing or refinancing five plus with LLCs. How does that work? Does it really change a lot of stuff? Can you just kind of give us an, a little overview on that? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you're, you're right. And, and prefacing the one to four versus the five plus, I, that's definitely right. Because yeah, you know, one to the one for where, where that really comes into play is uh, the consumer side, right? So mm -hmm. if you want to buy, you know, uh, one, you know, two unit, three unit building house, hack it with FHA or something, you, you can't really buy in an LLC, right? And if you want to transfer it to the LLC, then all the investors get scared of the acceleration <laughs> clause. And they're like, well, no, it's going to come to it. And it's like, that rarely happens. But what you could do is put it in like, you know, like a, a, a land trust and then have the trust transfer to the LLC. But um, that is not legal advice, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, that, that definitely plays in the, the consumer side. So where, where I'm dealing, you know, with is, is one to four units, but it's business purpose commercial loan on non-owner occupied investment properties, right? So that's the main determinant because as soon as someone is occupying the property, it becomes a it essentially like a primary residence loan, which immediately falls under the Dodd-Frank um, you know, act. And, and now all of a sudden, all of those laws open up, right? Where this is more asset-based for investors who they will never live in the property for a day. Um, and that's the difference. And you can definitely purchase an LLC. In fact, we require it um, just because it mitigates risk and it's just from a business standpoint, it's just a better thing to do. So you will only really run into that on the consumer side if you try to occupy uh, the property. But you know, on the asset base side where we're just using you know, just the, the rents um, and, and the property, the cash flow of the property itself as you know, the main you know, underwriting, then you, that won't, that'll be you know, a non-issue. Yeah. And anybody that's interested in doing that one to four, definitely speak to an attorney and speak to someone that um, a lot of wholesalers do it and they call it subject to, and that's moving stuff from land trusts to other stuff and they're taking over payments. So you have to find an attorney that actually understands it if you uh, want to do that, but um, definitely check Absolutely. on it before you start fi filing paperwork and doing yep. it or, or uh, figure yep. or buying the property in your name and hoping that you can do that. Um, what are some of the most important factors of a real estate transaction that investors should be focused on when obtaining the financing? So like having the complete financials or they should be focused on the credit score or, I mean, what do you, what do you think is most important? Yeah, no, I, I, I love this question because uh, it, it, it really is just, so if, if you're, if you, if you want to qualify the, I mean, the best step is to really reach out to someone and see what you want you know, and, and explain to them your scenario. Right. So I, there's, there's not really any, any, uh, you know, magic formula other than, you know, if, you know, don't have like a 580 FICO, um, you know, uh, but just have your strategy clear, like, Hey, I want to buy, you know, properties to fix. And then I want to refi and I want to rent them out. And here's my market. Um, that is information. If you have, you know, if you know, your, if you have clarity on your strategy, um, that is a phone call that, you know, we can have, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's something that we can dig into further. So now, now it's about the asset, right? Um, I, you know, just as you, as, as you analyze deals, you know, we need to make sure that the DCR uh, of, of the properties you're looking at will in fact qualify, right? 
a good deal example. Yeah. For, for a, like just for a foreign investor, let's say, you know, assuming 60% LTV, you know, and let's assume the following numbers. We have a 130 K purchase price uh, on a single family uh, easily attainable in the Midwest somewhere, a thousand fifty a month in rent, uh, 200 a month in taxes, a hundred a month in insurance. And at 60% LTV on the 130 value, you, you're going to end up with about a $78,000 loan. And now your principal and interest monthly payment and a quarter interest rate with a 30-year amortization is $480.26. So if we take, if we add the principal interest and also taxes and insurance, we, you know, we get a total PITI of $780.26. And so now all we, you know, all we have to do to get the DCR is divide the income by uh, the total, right? So that's the 1000 by the $780.26. Oh, we get our 1.4. So we know mm-hmm. that the income covers our ITI you know, expense by at least 1.34. The common ratio, a common underwriting okay. guideline is the property must have at least a 1.2, right? So if we don't have that margin, we can't, we, we can't really work with it in, in that capacity, but a deal like this would qualify. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. What, what people like to see for the DSCR. So that's, uh, that's very helpful. What would you suggest to a new investor that wants to start preparing themselves for working with a lender? Sure. So again, going back to the clarity of the strategy, right? So just, mm. just knowing exactly like what you want to do faster, because I, I can help maybe tweak things. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, you know, if you, if you come to me and, and, and you tell me you want to flip, for example, then, you know, maybe I can help you steer. But if you really don't know, like what, what you want to do as an investor, um, I, that's definitely something you, you need to have down, uh, you know, and preferably maybe even a sample deal uh, of, of some numbers mm-hmm. that you can, that you can present because the easiest way to, to get feedback is to just send me a deal with, you know, with the numbers. And, you know, that's something that, um, I can analyze really quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll know if it works and boom, you have feedback from, you know, an actual source uh, firsthand and you're not just saying, well, what if, and, and, and this and that. And, um, and again, it comes down to yeah, really knowing your numbers and um, get it. And again, get it from a primary source too, because you don't want to be overly optimistic yeah. and then put a deal under contract, find out, you know, your, you know, origination points or whatever to whoever you went to is, you know, three points higher than you <laughs> thought and you did this and that. And now the deal's like, well, then you don't know what to do and you're spinning your wheels, right? It's better to have all of that sorted, send a sample deal, even if you don't have it under contract and say, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. And then, you know, from there, it's, it's a much easier uh, path forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, anybody out there interested, you, you know, building the relationships with your team are, the most important thing in the beginning that you have to do. And it takes time to do it. It's not something you'll just do in an afternoon. So reaching out and having someone um, on the finance side and having and starting that relationship, even if you've never done a deal before, or if you have done a deal before, even if it's a fix and flip, you can put this together in a, uh, a little PDF or something or a Word doc and send it off to potential people that you want to partner with uh, or work with in your team, including a finance person, and uh, let them know this is what I've done, this is what I want to do. And then when you're actually sending over deals, you know, review them and not just sending over a broker's performa and um, actually review Thank them. You. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, be, I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, they're supposed to be buying it and underwriting it. 
uh, not yeah. Eric or the finance person. And they're just going to, they're just going to, you know, put your email to the side because it's not, if you send over, Hey, this is the property. And then this is my underwriting. And this is like my assumptions. And it's not going to take them, you know, hours for looking at it. And they can look at it and be like, um, especially if they're, you know, if, if they're really, uh, knowledgeable about the area they're going to say yeah this looks fine or doesn't and they can pass it forward and it looks very professional and then i would say the last thing i've seen before when i spoke to people is just having the correct terminology when you're talking to it and it makes it so much True. when you're talking to someone and you know about the ratios and it, it'll take you an hour reading it up online and you can actually um learn the terminology that he's using uh dscr uh, ltv all these different ones that are, aren't very complicated but just when you're using them when talking to people they understand that you're knowledgeable you're educated and you're going to be most likely less hassle uh when you're dealing with them and you're actually going to probably close on the loan so just a couple couple things tidbits i've i've learned from doing this no no that's 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 absolutely perfect because i i it, right if you if you if you don't know the terminologies or, or you don't know how like how do you communicate what you want if if you can't you know, and, and how do you, how do you tell, you know, how do you ask the right questions too, right? That's a big thing uh, in, in communicating is, is how do you, how do you dig deeper if, if you don't know the, the surface level terminology? Yeah. Cool. And Eric, yeah. One last thing before we, uh, we close up, uh, since you've been on both sides of the transaction and uh, I didn't know that you were so in depth with uh, real estate investing prior to getting into financing, um, what are common mistakes you see investors make when they're purchasing? Um, actually, obviously you've gone through a few things that people can do to prepare themselves, but have there been mistakes maybe before or after the closing that you might want to share? I imagine you've heard it, uh, you know, yeah. horror stories and grand slams. So, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, just from my own experience, so, uh, flipping houses that are too large. <laughs> so that's one. So if you want to, you know, don't take, you know, don't take down like a 2,200 square foot, five, four, house, you know, um, even if the number is pencil, because like your, your costs are going to be like triple, you know, you might think, Oh, well, it'd be like double or like times. And no, like, <laughs> you know, your, your labor is, is going to skyrocket. And then, you know, not, that's not even factoring in, you know, the additional contingency, uh, you know, greater than 10% that you should have for, for something like that. So th th that's probably my first thing is any flippers do like small projects, like cap it at plain vanilla, houses, um, you know, uh, American houses, which is, you know, three, two, two ones, you know, 1400 square feet, like really just simple stuff. Um, and you know, on the finance side, if you have a deal where you're, you're flipping it and then you want to rent it out and it requires essentially two stages, right? So you have the first stage, which is, which is your acquisition, uh, and you have your construction and then you have your finance exit. And then you have, you know, obviously just renting it. Um, you want to make sure that you have the, 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 the forethought to put both of those pieces in place. Um, I I've seen that mistake where investors come to me in, in a jam and they're like, Hey, I thought I could refi this. And this like, is not working out. I'm like, yeah. wow. Like, you know, you, yeah. you, you need to make sure that that option is there, you know, no, no matter what. Right. And, and, if, if you want to go conventional and it doesn't matter what route you want, right? If you want to go asset base, if you want to go conventional, either way, you need to have that person in your corner before you even put the contract to purchase, you know, in, and, and that's, that's, it's so critical because it, it leads, it, that's probably like 30% of all the, of all the jams that, that I get are just, Hey, I can't refi this and the loan is due. What do I do? 
Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, that's something that you definitely have to look forward to. And, and knowing that, um, you know, if you were buying something earlier in 2020 and then COVID hit and you're trying to refinance it, obviously, if there's not secondary markets for the people you're trying to get loans from, um, they're not going to have money to loan to you. Exactly. You know, it, it, it's a great lesson in, um, in you know, essentially liquidity and how conservative things can get literally overnight, right? Because, yeah. I mean, people were people were 80, 80% LTV, you know, all day, you know, 70% foreign nationals all day, you know, and all of that just got cut by at least 10% overnight. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, 10% is a sizable number, you know, could, you know, easily put a dent in, in, in your, in your ability to pay off a mm -hmm. loan that's coming due, you know, especially if you have a five-year, you know, balloon on a multifamily or a 10-year, and that's like right at the cusp, you know, you're, People, you know, you probably just have to go back to your bank and get an extension. Yeah. You know, I, I know. Which yeah. goes back to your relationship with your lender and how important it is when you're going through it. And exactly. um, because they're the ones that are going to say, yeah, we'll just, you know, we can push this out. Or they're the ones that are going to be a little bit more aggressive, which uh, is not going to be good for your your whole business plan. Um, Eric, so how can people learn more about you and your business? Yeah. Uh, so my website is uh, shoresidefinance.com um, and my email is eric, E-R-I-C, at shoresidefinance.com. So, you know, any anyone who's, you know, on the fence about getting started or, you know, they have cash um, and, you know, they're looking to put it into to an investment and it sounds like something I can help with, you know, you're more than welcome to to reach out to me, you know, with an email and uh, I'm, I'm happy to, to talk. And I also just released my own um, podcast called House okay. Hacks for Flipping Stacks. So hopefully by the time that this is this is live, that that's something um, you know anyone who's listening can check out as well. And that'll have if you like what you heard here on the, the financing topics, then there there'll definitely be a lot more of that, that um, you know in on on my my show as well. So. Awesome. Okay, Eric. Yeah, send me out those links. I'll put them in the show notes as well. And uh, I want to thank you so much for being on today. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much, Charles. Appreciate your time, man. Have a great day. Okay. You, you too. Hi guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30 minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars Incorporated exclusively.